And our scripture reading will come from two places this afternoon. Our text will be in 1 Peter 1, but first we'll turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, a few chapters before, earlier in what we read this morning. And here the Lord gives some moral and ceremonial laws to the people, and it also includes a passage that Peter quotes in 1 Peter 1. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day, and if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it, shall be, it is an abomination, it shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats, eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned, and hallowed, has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal, deal falsely, nor lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your, of the, of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a tale-bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes, you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be a scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring to his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram with a trespass offering before the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. 
and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruits as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, and it may yield you, to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest skills, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Now we'll turn to 1 Peter and chapter 1. And begin, and there we'll read just a verse of 13 to 16. And that'll be our main text for this afternoon. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. As far as the reading of God's holy word, and now in connection with God's word, we'll also read uh, for Lord's Day 12 uh, for the Heidelberg Catechism. And only the second question, question 32. It's on page 40 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 12, considering only the second question, question 32, but why are you called a Christian? And the answer is because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. 
and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. So dear congregation, our focus is to continue here in the first chapter of the first epistle of Peter. It's been a few weeks now since we have looked at these earlier uh, verses. But Peter begins here in verse 13 saying, therefore, and that always lets us know that he's continuing on with the thought of, of what comes before to, to now come to uh, some sort of a conclusion or to a progression. And so he and this refers back to what he's just been explaining here in the first verses of how he spoke to them of God, the Father who elected sinners, and God, the Son, who, who redeems them, and the Holy Spirit, who, who sanctifies them, who, who gives them that, that hope of eternal life. And so here he's speaking to these believers who are born again to a, to a living hope, verse 3 says, through the resurrection of Christ, that hope of eternal life to be raised again when the Lord Jesus comes. But now the question that we have, especially this afternoon after uh, having the Lord's Supper before us this morning and considering Christ's holiness, what is our duty before God uh, for this great salvation? What is our life of gratitude to look like? What does God require of us? Having received such a gift of salvation, what He says here in, in verse 9, that this is, this is something we cannot just take for granted, not something you just put on the shelf, but as, as children of God, you are also expected to live uh, as children of the Father. And so in verse 16 here, he says, Be holy, for I am holy. And this morning we considered uh, Christ's holiness as was portrayed by the, by the priests and the high priests, and this afternoon, our theme is the Christian's holiness that Peter calls us here to. The Christian's holiness. And this afternoon, we will have three thoughts as we find them in these, these verses here. And the first one is hope. The first thought is, is hope. Hope is your motivation to holiness. And that's what Peter brings out here. Peter calls you to holiness because God who has delivered you from sin is holy. Isn't that what he said in, in Leviticus uh, toward the end there? He, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. And he began that chapter by saying, be holy because I am holy. And, and, and so the motivation here, or Paul, Peter begins with the motivation to be holy. And so in verse 13 here he writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the command that Peter gives us here is not simply be holy. It's not simply make yourself holy 
It's, it's not, he doesn't bring us to, to, to Mount Sinai where you see the thundering clouds and, and, and lightning that the Lord gave when He gave His law at, to Israel. And He says, now obey this law. No, because even then when Israel heard that, what did they do? It didn't draw them closer to God, but it made them step back and say, we don't dare to talk to this holy God. We don't dare to hear from this holy God. But He points us first to the living hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, even as you saw it this morning. And so he commands us here in this verse that the main focus are these words, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. And so he's saying hope perfectly. Hope to the end, the King James writes. So Peter is one who often uses hope as, as a means of, of encouragement or motivation. And so what, when you think of his audience that he's writing to, what hope do they have in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their persecutions, and when they're scattered throughout the country? Well, he says, you have a living hope, verse 3. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. Hebrews 7, it says you have a better hope. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he says when you're speaking to unbelievers... You speak to them of your hope, your hope of eternal life. Not just a dream, not just a fantasy, but this is a firm expectation of what God has done and will do for you. And what hope do you have today as a Christian? We, kind of saw, we saw that in Lord's Day 30, uh, 12 as well in question 32. It says, I am a member of Christ by faith and a partaker of His anointing. There's a hope of eternal life that if children, then heirs with Christ. And so Peter draws our attention to this hope because what hope does is it focuses our, our attention. It focuses our mind. It gives us direction to our thoughts. It focuses us beyond the trials, beyond the persecutions of this life. And he say, he, you, you focus on the fact that you are a member with, by, of Christ by faith, and thereby you're a partaker of that liberating and empowering truth of God to overcome sin, to overcome this world by His Holy Spirit. And so he says, what is this hope focused on? What is your hope focused on? Well, he says in, in verse 13 there, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The object of your hope is this grace of God that is being brought to you, that is being given to you. It'll be given in all its fullness when He returns in the clouds of heaven, when His redemption work will be fully realized for all believers, and there'll be a full salvation, there'll be a full deliverance from sin, there'll be a full glorification of body and soul, there'll be a full knowledge of God in Christ Jesus, there'll be a full and eternal life in His very presence. And so, this, He focuses on here on this, on this grace, which refers to that salvation, verses 9 and 10, the, the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And included in that is that inheritance, that inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, and that does not fade away, and that's reserved in heaven, in, in heaven for you, which he says in verse 4. 
And he says this is a hope and this is a grace that you have now, that you currently have. But it's also which is still being brought to you. And that's in the passive voice, being brought. It means it's, it's on the way. It's God is the one who is delivering it. And the believers are the recipients by the grace of God, by the work of God. And the grace of God brought to them by the work of Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. And He says, even now you have that pledge. Even now you have the, the down payment by His Holy Spirit. And that's a small token of the fullness of the glory that is not to be compared with any of the, the, the present sufferings that you face now, what Romans 8 says. And one day that will be made complete when Christ appears. And this is a hope that cannot be found anywhere in this world. This is a hope that looks beyond anything here. Because here you know that your persecutors will not make your life easier, if Peter, Peter is saying to them. Your government, even here, will not make our life any better. Entertainment of this world cannot improve anything. But this hope is fixed on eternity. And so he says, rest your hope fully. Rest your hope perfectly. A perfect and a complete hope on the eternal, with nothing resting on the perishing world here below. And so this is a hope that gives strength for the trials. This is a hope that will produce sanctification in your life. A desire for holiness, to be holy as the God who has called you is holy. And John writes about this as well in John 1, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. And he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. There's a motivation to be pure as Christ is pure, to be like Him whom you will see when you'll be made like Him. So there is that transformation beginning even now, that, that purifying, that making holy, that when, when you see Him, you'll be made completely like Him. And that begins now and will be completed in eternity. So first, hope is your motivation to holiness. Do you have that hope? Do you have that motivation? And then secondly, the second thought is attention. And I chose the word attention because it deals with the mind, preparing your mind for holiness, the preparation for holiness. He says in verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. You're motivated by hope, but now your mind needs to be prepared to pursue that. Because the conscious mind will determine your actions. You don't just automatically become holy. No, it takes effort. You need to give attention to what you're going to do. And I looked it up. Attention is defined as consideration with a view to action. And that's why I chose the word attention here. 
It's, it's a consideration with a view to action. And so Peter says here, now gird up the loins of your mind. That means prepare your mind for action. Be attentive and get ready for this. And don't let your mind be distracted by anything. Because giving attention to anything else, anything that is not important, that does not lead to this goal of holiness, is a distraction. And the Lord here, when he, when he uses, or Peter, when he uses the word gird up the loins, he is, alludes to the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, even as the Lord in Leviticus 19 alludes to his deliverance from slavery. And so the night that the Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt, they had to, in Exodus 12, verse 11, it says they had to eat the Passover with their loins girded, with sandals on their feet, and with the staff in their hand. That means they were ready, ready to walk in freedom, ready to leave the bondage. And so girding up the loins for the, for the Israelites then, because they had long flowing robes that went down to their feet, they couldn't run very well in that. So girding up the loins means picking up those long folds and tucking them in your belt so that you would not trip over them. That's how they worked. That's how they ran. That's how they went to war. An example is in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah, it says he girded up the loin, his loins and he, he ran ahead of Ahab when the storm clouds were coming so they could beat the rain, uh, get to the city before the rain came. And this is a picture of how the Lord tells us to be ready. In Luke 12 or 35, the parable of the expectant steward, it says we have to be ready in this way with our girded loins, with lamps burning, waiting for the master re to return ready to open that door, be found ready when the Lord returns to take us out of this life. And so, our minds must be ready to live holy and to serve God. We must be free from the distractions in this world, from fear, from worry, from bondage, anything that will slow us down from the progress to holiness. If you think again of the persecuted church that he was writing to here, they were scorned, they were abused, they, were, they would feel abandoned. How would their minds be taken off of this focus? Oh, they could be tempted to act in many different ways that were sinful, either to react in anger or revenge or bitterness. They might be tempted to compromise their faith and to ease up the persecution. They might be tempted to despair, like in Psalm 73, when they see the wicked prosper and the righteous are persecuted. And so what hinders and what distracts your mind from serving God, from knowing God, from following God, from living with God? We can think of many, can't we? How quickly the social media will turn us away. How quickly the internet will take up our time. How, how, how simple little things like doodling on an assignment takes our attention away from what we're supposed to be focusing on. How quickly our mind wanders. How quickly anything can lead our minds astray that we do not hear the Word of God preached even here, now, in, in church. Anything that would draw us into sin is a distraction. Or anything that would even just slow us down from pursuing holiness. Anything that would distract us from our time with God in our Bible reading, in our prayer, in our devotions. Anything in this world that would replace God or take our focus off God 
to, to make our lives seem easier, the, the pleasures, the entertainment of this world that, that are pleasing to the flesh, that seem to give a reprieve, and yet it distracts us from following God. And so we are called here to prepare our mind. You must be ready, he is saying, to walk in the freedom away from sin. Because by grace, God delivers you from the bondage of sin, and He calls you to walk out in the liberty of holiness. And so your hope is that you will be made like Christ when you see Him, holy, free from sin, and that begins now. Gird up your mind. Prepare your mind. Remove those distractions. Think of the Lord Jesus again in, nine, in Luke 9, verse 51, where it says, Jesus steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah writes it as a flint, like a stone. His face was set so determined, so focused to go to the cross to die for His people. Direct your mind then to Him and direct your mind to God and to the mercies of God. Look how He delivered His people. It was, he showed His grace first, and then He gave His laws at Sinai. First, he, he delivered them out of Egypt, and then He gave them His laws how to work, how to walk. First, He delivered them in grace, and then He taught them to walk in the paths of holiness. And so fill your mind with the liberating truth of God's Word, that holiness is freedom from sin, that it is separation from sin, that it's a life of sanctification that begins even now. Rather than filling your mind with the things and distractions of this world, fill it with the Word of God, with the truth of God, to lead you to right actions. Focused in on the promises, focus on the hope of the grace to be brought to you. And then he says, be sober. That means, simply means self-controlled. To be of a sound mind. Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has given you a sound mind, of sound judgment, of self-discipline. Peter mentions this word again in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, destroy. You must have clear minds. You must have sound judgment, ready for the return of Christ. So if girding up our loins, girding up our minds, means tying up our minds from any distractions, a sober mind means keep going without, over, without sinful indulgence. Pay attention to how you act. Self-control is the opposite of being controlled by something else. Being controlled here, the word sober, of course, refers to, you, we think immediately of, of drinking, drinking too much, overindulging in drink, being controlled by alcohol or drugs, the effect of being controlled by something else. But you can also be controlled by, by, by rash judgment, by confusion, or by, by anger, by greed, by pride, by lust. You need self-controlled mind. And so again, the trials and the persecutions that these, these people were in, these Christians, they might be tempted 
to find a way out. Some try intoxicating themselves, some literally through, through substance abuse, but others, others by overindulgence, some by lack of self-control. But even if we think of other ways, if you overindulge in entertainment, overindulge in eating, in obsession, any self-indulgence that we seek to, to pamper ourselves or to focus on our own self-interests, to indulge excessively. But here again, the Lord Jesus, He refused the mind-dulling mixture of wine and myrrh when He went to the cross. He was focused. He was self-controlled. He had a clear mind focused on the work that He was doing in full obedience to His Father. And we need a clear mind to act in a consecrated, in a sanctified, and in a holy way. A clear mind to focus on what God provides and to receive strength by His grace and Spirit to walk in liberty against sin, away from sin. So hope your motivation. The full attention of your mind is required. And now lastly, that ought to lead to the action. So thirdly, the third thought is obedience, which is your means to holiness. Obedience is your means. Jesus walked in obedience to His Father in all things. He came to do His Father's will. He became obedient even to death, even to the death of the cross. So it's not only a hope that we need, it's not only in our minds that we need, but it needs to be in our actions. We need to do the will of the Father. Verses 14 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Those are the actions. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Peter is addressing Christians as children of obedience. Christians are to be known as children of obedience, children of God by grace and by adoption. Now, adoption was a common practice in, in those days. And an adopted child would receive all the privileges of a child. would even receive the inheritance. And children are expected to obey. And when the neighbor's children come over to your house, you don't have the same expectations for them. But children must obey their parents in all things, in the Lord. And so Peter here uses obedience to introduce holiness. Obedience and holiness go together like, like two sides of a coin. You can't have one without the other. And so in Leviticus 19, that, the section that we read, if you turn there again for a moment, Leviticus chapter 19, he says in verse 2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And what's the first thing that God lists after that in verse 3? Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbath. Doesn't that sound like one of the commandments? Honor your father and your mother. 
Or as Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. The first thing that God lists after He says, be holy, is be obedient children. Children of God are called to obey their father. Holiness is obedience to God's law. And he goes on, he says, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, verse 14. And so Peter starts off here now then with the negative aspect of the command first, with the warning, do not conform yourselves to your former lusts. Do not be who you once were before you were saved. Do not follow those sins again or still. And when we think of that, when, when we keep going through this list in Leviticus 19, what is it that God is forbidding? What is He telling you not to be conformed to? These all, kind of, these all come out of His law. The former sins, the sins of the heathens. There's, because he, he lists the disobedience, the, the Sabbath breaking, the idol worship. And in verse 9, he, he speaks about greed. In verse 11, stealing and lying and swearing and profaning God's name. He, he lists the, the cheating and the robbing. In verse 17, he speaks about hatred and vengeance and grudges. In verse 20, the sexual immorality. In verse 26, the pagan practices of defiling the body, that, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, with the, the cutting and the, the tattooing. And then he has prostitution. In verse 30, again, the second time, warns against Sabbath breaking. In verse 31, dealing with dead spirits or wizards or necromancers. The new life of the children of obedience is conformity to God's law. So he's saying here, do not be conformed to these old things which are contrary to His law, which the, the heathens are practicing, which he says the heathens are being cast out of the land for. This life of grace is a life of overcoming sin. It's overcoming the world by faith, 1 John 5. It is to, to reign like kings, to overcome and to destroy the sin. And so he says, not conforming ourselves to our former lusts. And isn't that what Paul said in Romans 12? Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. See, Paul says the same thing. It starts by the mind, the attention given to what we must be. And the word conform there means to be shaped, to be molded. And children, you know what it is like to make a sandcastle. You put a bucket full of sand and you put it upside down and the sand now has the shape of the, of the pail. And so he says, don't be shaped like that with to the world, to the sins of the world, to the ideologies of the world. But now be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. You are new creatures in Christ, and yet not perfect. And that's why he says, be transformed. That begins in our mind. We don't automatically grow to perfection. God has given us a responsibility. He is, if your faith is in Christ, if, he is, if you're born again by His Spirit, then, then you have been freed from the dominion of sin, just like Israel is freed from Egypt. 
but you're not free from all sin altogether. We have to work out what God has worked in, Philippians 2, by obedience to God. And therefore, we must resist old sins. Do not be conformed to this world, to our old lust, to our old sins, to our old self, to our old habits. Verse 14 goes on to say in the last part there, as in your ignorance. You did those things in your ignorance before you didn't know better. Ignorance of God, ignorance of His Word, ignorance of His law, of His holiness, of His love, of His mercy in Christ. And such ignorance is still being worked out into unbelievers in this world as they pursue sin to the fullest, as they think that is the way to go. And you see them going deeper and deeper into depths of immorality and depths of, of drunkenness and, and, and theft and murder and violence. It just spirals deeper and deeper. The greed of sin leads to, leads to more sin. But you, by the grace of God, have been set free and delivered from the bondage. So he says, now walk in that freedom. Go in the strength of the Lord. You cannot just stop the evil and put it away. You, you cannot just stop addictions or bad habits and stay there. That just leaves an empty house, a swept-out room, the Lord Jesus calls it. But you must also continue in the positive, in, the, in doing what is right. And that's where he comes now to the positive command in verse 15. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You must stop the bad, but also do what is right. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, The God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what did he call you to? He says there, you are, royal priest. you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Christians are to be the prophets, priests, and kings. As we said earlier, you share in the anointing of Christ that as prophets you proclaim the praises of God who called you out of darkness of sin. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, you as prophets must give a hope, a, a, a reason for the hope that lies in you. You speak to others. And as priests, what we said in Romans 12, you're called to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, which is a reasonable service. A life of holiness, putting sin to death. It's a sacrifice. It's difficult. And as kings to overcome the world by faith. And here a quote again, the Lord's Day 12. So that I may confess His name, that's as a prophet, that I may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him as a priest, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and against Satan in this life and afterwards reign with Him eternally over all creatures. A kingly office given to all believers. That the threefold office that Christians have as a share in their anointing with Christ. And so we're called to do the will of God. So we see here that you're motivated by the grace of God and the hope of eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ by the resurrection from the dead. And your mind is set and prepared to pursue that holiness in all its fullness according to God's law. And by the grace and power of His Holy Spirit, 
You live out a life of obedience to the Word of God so that you, in this life, are being conformed to the image of Christ's perfect holiness. As we consider this morning, a Christian's holiness is to be conformed to Christ's holiness. And then one day you look forward to that. That is where your hope looks, to be made like Him when you shall see Him face to face, when all sin we put away forever, when all corruption removed, only because of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what He has done and what He works in your heart, that work which He has begun, He will fulfill to the end. May that be our hope and our mindset and our conduct all the days of our life. Amen.